0: So welcome everybody. Uh, I'm really pleased to introduce uh, Dr. David Lewin, who is Senior Lecturer in Philosophy of Education at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. David's going to talk to us today about religion, reductionism, and pedagogical reduction.
1: Thank you, David, and thanks everybody for tuning in today. Um, Just noticed my slides have a mind of their own. I think I may have left some timings on them from a previous life so I'll try not to let that be too disturbing. Um, Okay so uh, anything else to say? Well um, uh, hopefully uh, this is uh, new and interesting. I know some people might have heard something very similar to this if they attended the Birmingham branch meeting so uh, apologies if there's some elements that uh, you've uh, heard before. Um, So I guess I'll talk for about 45 minutes or so and then we can see what Questions emerge. So, um, how are we to encourage others to develop a rich understanding of the concept of religion? How ought we to teach children about complex and diverse religious traditions in an age of religious pluralism and multiculturalism, as well as conflict and misrepresentation? What is involved in the selections and simplifications of religious traditions for educational purposes? And how do these generalizations rely on a general construction of religion? How are these selections and simplifications justified? Can reductive representations such as a world religions paradigm really offer a balanced view of our diverse religious experiences or traditions? Or do they distort and misrepresent? So I want to address these questions by developing a theory of Of what I'm calling pedagogical reduction. Um, Contrasting an educationally constructive notion of reduction to what is often taken to be a problematic approach to understanding religion, uh, namely reductionism. How can an educationally constructive reduction deal with the dangers of reductionism? So I'm basically going to step through four uh, main steps uh, in, in the presentation. Uh, Firstly, um, I'll define reductionism in general and raise the question of how much reduction is too much. Uh, Then I want to elaborate a concept of pedagogical reduction, which in short concerns the way complex and wide ranging phenomena are represented in simple forms for educational purposes. This thirdly leads to an exploration of how religious education exhibits particular kinds of tension and ambivalence in relation to pedagogical reduction finally uh, leading to some theoretical and practical considerations around how uh, pedagogical reductions require the development of certain educational dispositions. Uh, Specifically, I'm going to illustrate this through the concept of uh, pedagogical tact. So firstly then, reductionism. In the field of religious studies, reductionism has a long and chequered history. Uh, We can broadly characterize reductive theories of religion as displaying two explanatory tendencies, naturalistic and cultural reductionism. Both natural and cultural theorizing reduce religious phenomena and experience by imposing interpretive frames. Naturalistic reductionism through explaining phenomena in terms of basic physical structures, for instance, uh, neurochemistry, and cultural reductionism in terms of more basic structures of power, for instance, Marxian critique. So there are no conclusive means of determining whether and to what extent interpretive frames reveal or conceal. Um, In general, it seems likely that the act of understanding through reductive framing of phenomena is ambivalent. And so we might acknowledge with Heidegger that every revealing is a concealing. From this perspective, neurochemical, All Marxian interpretations of religious experiences and attitudes are not not simply true or false, but reveal something while obscuring something else. Acknowledging that we find ourselves within a hermeneutical circle means that our interpretations and understandings are always provisional. They show something without ever exhausting what can be shown. Yet reductionism becomes problematic when certain phenomena, Consciousness, religious experience, free will are thought to be conclusively explained as epiphenomena. That the reality of the phenomena can be sufficiently explained by reference to basic constituent elements, uh, neurochemistry or hegemony, and that the lived experience is illusory or is false consciousness. This kind of reductionism does not let the phenomena show itself as itself and has been roundly criticized by theorists, particularly within. Uh, phenomenology and hermeneutics. Um, But in the context of religious education, reductionism is evident in the arguably hegemonic dominance of of what is known uh, as the world religions paradigm, which isn't the only uh, 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 dominant uh, hegemony, let's say um, there, but, but one that we all may recognize, which is a way of interpreting, representing and teaching religion that emerged in the 1960s, particularly in the UK. As Cotter and Robertson have put it, the world religions paradigm typically includes the big five um, of Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. And moreover, almost always presented in that Abrahamic-centric order, increasingly with additional catch-all categories such as indigenous or new religions included. So the world religions paradigm allows for a relatively stable representation of religion in the face of pluralism and multiculturalism, but at what cost? Scholars of religious studies have sought ways to develop broader understandings of diverse religious traditions, expanding the discipline of religious studies well beyond the constraints of confessional theology. And some have interpreted the world religions paradigm as broadening the previously hegemonic and univocal confessional approach taken by religious educators. These changes had considerable influence over how schools, colleges and universities represent diverse religious traditions within RE and RS. More recently, others have argued that understanding religion in contemporary RE often pays the price of being excessively reductive. RE teachers tend to interpret and represent complex and diverse traditions through the narrow lenses derived from most often Western uh, Protestant Christian uh, religion. So uh, in short, the world religions paradigm has been criticized as too reductionistic. And yet scholars have also pointed out uh, the necessity for something akin to a world religions approach, but that this should not be undertaken uncritically. From a hermeneutic perspective then, these competing views of the world religion paradigm tell us something about the rich and complex field of religion without ever exhausting that subject. So in what follows I want to develop something like this latter view. Um, although representation is always partial, it is educationally vital and constructive. This ed- educationally constructive pedagogical reduction should not, I should suggest, be confused with reductionism. The distinction I wish to make is between a problematic reductionism which sees the representation of phenomena as necessary and sufficient for understanding and a pedagogical reduction which is necessary but never sufficient. So I believe that this distinction is particularly significant for RE because the content of RE can often be oriented to something that ostensibly at least exceeds representation. Indeed, scholars and practitioners of religion regard the notion of representation with a degree of ambivalence not found in all curricular domains. This means that in RE, educators are especially concerned to avoid the pitfalls of reductionism, but without a clear sense of what and how to reduce their subject matter matter in educational ways without falling into a kind of reductionism. Although I do not claim to offer substantive criteria for determining reduction, distinguishing sorry, reductionism and pedagogical reduction, my argument unfolds some conceptual resources to, designed to help us reflect on uh, and articulate this, and even practically enact this distinction. So then ped- moving to uh, the concept of pedagogical reduction itself, um, how is the complexity of things to be made understandable to the next generation? Much of what we call education, that is the acts of presenting and representing the world could be boiled down to the efforts to draw the attention of students to particular things, efforts which involve various forms of selection and simplification, aimed, generally speaking, towards something rather mysterious, even miraculous, named understanding. These efforts to draw attention include such activities as selecting, simplifying, generalizing, using examples which taken together are directed towards the creation of conditions for learning, development or growth. This variety of activities undertaken to represent the complexity of the world for educational purposes is here referred to as pedagogical reduction, uh, referring to the activities that reduce, that is the how, um, as well as the resulting representation, the reduction, the what. Um, for instance the summary of a subject field in a a textbook chapter. Although the processes of pedagogical reduction are activities that most, if not all, educators would would recognise, there is relatively little theory of educational representation and reduction among Anglo-American theorists at least. Um, Of course there's a there's a discourse of didactic reduction in, in um, continental uh, theory of education, um, but that's largely absent uh, in the Anglo-American tradition, perhaps because of the paternalistic connotation of the term didactics, which, uh, which uh, is, is, is an issue. Although criticisms of the particular forms that pedagogical reductions take are appropriate, my approach here affirms the intrinsic value of examining the general structure of, of reduction itself. I seek to explore the concept of pedagogical reduction primarily in descriptive terms, that is without engaging immediately anyway in normative critiques of the validity of certain reductions. So this is not of course meant to suggest that those critiques are not significant or not worthwhile, Of course, critical theory is of vital significance here, Um, but I do want to say that before we get into critique, we have to have a a better notion of what it is that we are critiquing. So it's not the case that theoretical discourse around pedagogical representation or reduction is is lacking, but that such theory tends to move directly to forms of critique. Progressive and critical uh, pedagogues are prone to focus analysis on normative questions of the failures of the representation uh, or from critical analysis of whose interests govern the pedagogical representation and how we should avoid, for instance, constructing inauthentic educational realities disconnected from a putative real world. For instance, a hermeneutics of suspicion is applied uh, to the interests that govern the structure and content of textbooks, as a classic example. So critical attitudes are surely appropriate, um, particularly in adult education, um, but I basically want to say that a more general theory of pedagogical reduction is important to establish its appropriate nature and scope. So understanding the pedagogical practices uh, as both literally and metaphorically fencing off experiences, and here an image of a Glasgow school illustrates that, or at least bricking off. Um, So fencing off uh, or or suspending temporalities of instrumentalism within school, that's a a phrase taken from Maskeline and Simons. So understanding those practices can help educators uh, to theorize as well as practice pedagogical reduction well. I wish to highlight the specifically educational questions uh, here in relation to pedagogical reduction. So although the concept of reduction describes conditions of constraint, of limiting the structures, of selection and simplification, as well as the literal constraints of space and time that classrooms and timetables uh, enact, it is also generative or productive, since these constraining conditions simultaneously bring into view. To borrow a metaphor from Robert McFarlane, uh, the reduction is understood less as a perimeter that restricts, but an aperture, a space through which the world can be seen. Etymologically, to reduce, to educe, to educate, all can drawing and bringing something out. Uh, by drawing attention, education is a generative reduction of the world, which draw, draws out through constraint. This emphasizes the verbal process, but I also want to keep in mind, that reduction is a helpful term for the objects that result from the process. And maybe textbooks are the uh, paradigmatic form of pedagogical reduction. Um, Since here, the subject field is fenced off, condensed and simplified for the development of understanding. Uh, But it's not only through texts and images that representations are, are deployed. Museums, galleries, exhibitions use light, Um, and space in particular ways to draw attention to certain things with a pedagogical intention. Similarly children's toys um, often present elements of the world in miniature again with at least some pedagogical or developmental interest. Um, Another example moral tales are often designed to simplify complex ethical or social contexts and dilemmas, or to sanitize darker instincts with formative influences in mind. So loads of different examples. I want to develop a little bit, two examples. One is the the balance bike, uh, the child's balance bike, and the second example will be the textbook. So let me say briefly about balance bikes, Um, small bikes, as you probably know, without gears, pedals, brakes, becoming very popular. Something like this has existed almost as long as cycling itself, um, but in recent years, this has become much more part of the evolution of learning to ride, um, recognizing, I think, how learning, is, uh, learning to ride is built on the fundamental skill of balance and steering, and that once those are in place, um, other skills such as pedaling, braking, gears, uh, can become uh, a focus that somehow balance is is the fundamental uh first step and of course we have stabilizers or training wheels as an alternative approach or an alternative pedagogy Um, um, okay so 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 that's one example that i quite like to discuss but i'll move on to the more common maybe uh, recognizable form of pedagogical reduction the textbook (coughs) or the book more generally bookish forms of knowledge now Daniel Troller distinguishes between academic and research forms of knowledge uh, which I've summarised here on the slide. Research knowledge is generated by questioning existing knowledge using verifiable scientific methods resulting in new but still provisional knowledge. This kind of provisional contested knowledge is contrasted with pedagogical knowledge whose chief characteristic is to be combined arranged and structured structured for the purpose of effective teaching. Um, The presentation of pedagogical knowledge, often in textbook form, follows certain principles. Um, Knowledge is presented as stable, not provisional or contested. Exceptions and contradictions are avoided. Elements are presented in discrete parts or units and presentation itself is often attractive or entertaining in some way. Uh, so in summary, as Trohler puts it, this is selection, condensation, composition, didactical structuring and streamlining for classroom instruction. So I do think this distinction could be overstated. It is useful and visible in all sorts of contexts. Nonetheless, Trohler goes on to discuss the Heidelberg Catechism. A, uh, let me just move on to this. The Heidelberg Catechism a Protestant confessional document published a few decades after Luther's publication of the 95 Theses, which Trulloch uh, which calls a prime example of an educational work or textbook that treats knowledge pedagogically, and which illustrates therefore the, very well, I think, the principles of pedagogical reduction, particularly uh, neatly in relation to r- religious education. Um, so uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is said to have been the most popular text of the 16th century at least in the western world Um, and whether the primary intentions of its authors were pedagogical or ecumenical and whether indeed it makes any sense to try and separate those intentions is is debatable but this uh, lutheran catechetical form a series of questions uh, with orthodox responses and you'll see there an example from the text uh, which is nicely done in cross stitch um, so that, that uh, structure captures the elements of, of pedagogical reduction. Um, it ensures some general theological consistency in a volatile age of reformation and counter-reformation. Um, the way that the Canadian Re- Reformed Theological Seminary website presents the catechism is instructive. So this is a contemporary um, expression. Um, and I've quoted it on the slide. The Catechism summarizes the major teachings of Holy Scripture in 129 memorable questions and answers. Simple yet profound, as well as concise yet sufficient, the Catechism has been appreciated by young and old alike as one of the most clear, helpful, and comforting guides into all the spiritual treasures of the Holy Gospel. Um, So the catechism then has been represented in so many uh, visual forms because it distills the essence of the gospel. It allies theological controversy. It attempts to meet the student where he or she is through forming questions that it is supposed at least exist within them. Um, Note the surprising claim though that the catechism is sufficient. My definition of the problematic kind of reductionism is related to the fact that the representation is thought to be sufficient. In general, sufficiency refers to the idea that nothing else is required, that the account is complete. Of course, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is probably not this. It is clear that reduction is not a substitute for the Bible. Um, as the as the website would go on later to say the catechism is is not sorry the yeah the catechism is not the replacement of scripture one might argue that its sufficiency is not meant literally but pedagogically so this statement is meant as an as an an encouragement uh, um, to draw uh, attention to the catechism as a first step um, along a path that ultimately leads to scripture itself but this raises the thorny issue of the relation between representation and what is represented, not only in RE, but more generally. After all, is not the reductive model of the physical brain only that a model, rather than the thing? We are always working within the realm of representation, it would seem. Uh, it would also seem that the initial definition of reductionism requires more analysis. A wider discussion of the nature of scientific reductionism is not something I'm going to get into now, Um, but the form of the Heidelberg Catechism suggests that something pedagogical is indeed intended, that scripture is itself complex, open to varied interpretation and risking heresy, and perhaps in a certain sense inaccessible, but with the idea of making a pedagogical reduction of scripture, we are faced with tensions. Does the reduction misrepresent? Isn't it preferable to present the students with the uninterpreted primary text? Aren't textbook reductions too often used to elide or defer the real encounter with the substance of the curriculum? Perhaps because we think too little of students or too much of ourselves as, as educators. Don't textbooks create an inauthentic scholastic reality Don't textbooks make mistakes or often, more, more, more dangerously perhaps, intentionally misrepresent the facts to suit ideology? While it may be tempting to oppose textbook or other reductions on these grounds, these concerns are not enough to eliminate the reduction in general, a point that's well illustrated by the textbook itself and its history. It has been widely argued that one of the key conditions that gave rise to the Protestant Reformation, and so the catechism, was the printing press. Um, This period of transformation later led in 1658 to the publication of a key text in the history of pedagogical representation and reduction. um, uh, Often understood here as the first textbook for children, uh, John Comenius's. Orbis Sensualium Pictus, the visible world in pictures. This text is important because it is arguably one of the last attempts to represent the whole cosmos, including things invisible, in a single pedagogical work. We might call it the textbook form of pedagogical reduction. Subsequent efforts towards encyclopedism had to confront the increasing challenges of a cosmos unmade, without the binding force, that is, uh, an order of the great chain of being, and with the increasing knowledges brought into view by the new philosophers. As these complex changes unfolded, it has been argued that uh, they created the conditions for the early construction of childhood, constructions that themselves led to the need for the self-conscious pedagogical reduction of the world. And it has been argued by Klaus Mollenhauer that at this point we see children not just being present to an adult world, uh, but um, that the world is self-consciously represented to children by way of these pedagogical reductions. Furthermore, Mollenhauer refers to the associated ideas of, uh, idea that schools and classrooms become places for pedagogical rehearsal educational spaces that are not real world since they are precisely set apart in order to offer students the opportunity to rehearse complex actions, knowledges and attitudes. These processes of of, and spaces for representation, reduction and rehearsal are vital in positioning pedagogical reduction within the broader sweep of educational history. The concept of pedagogical reduction applies, of course, to secular teaching materials, such as general uh, textbooks and schemes of work, all of which are involved in making selections from fields of knowledge. Educators make those judgments about the kinds of interpretation of phenomena that most effectively support their students and the sequences in which those representations are best uh, presented by providing selections, narratives, examples. So not only is this kind of reductive interpretation necessary, it is constructive and formative. It is the aperture of reduction, through the aperture of reduction that something comes into view at all. So I'm now gonna move to specifically reductionism in religious education, a bit more specifically. Um, So I earlier suggested that reductionism presents the representation as necessary and sufficient while from the perspective of the pedagogical reduction, the representation is necessary, but never sufficient or complete. When we turn to the pedagogical reduction of religion, we can see how these two tendencies bring about a certain tension. On the one hand, calls for greater religious literacy are underpinned by a desire to ensure diverse religious traditions and communities are understood in all their complexity and richness. Here, professors of religious studies, like Jonathan Z. Smith, are troubled by reductive representations um, enacted through the world religions paradigm. On the other hand, understanding religion entails some form of simplification, generalization and representation. This dichotomy is played out in various ways. The point of my argument is that a theory of reduction would help us make better, more considered, that is, choices. Scholars of Ari often emphasise the complexity of religious traditions, showing them not to be singular or uniform entities with clear-cut boundaries and definitive distinguishing features. Definitions here are provisional, arguments historically framed, traditions internally pluralistic, contested, with porous boundaries and involving imminent critique, Thus, there is no single, singular, uh, discrete Christianity, Islam, Judaism and so forth. Rather, there are multiple forms of any tradition, each being historically, socially, geographically, culturally formed and inflected. Not only is there pluralism within tradition, but pluralism shows the lines between orthodoxy and heterodoxy that are themselves historically framed and constructed. Recognizing this complexity presents systematic analysis of religion with lots of problems, most particularly the problem of determining what does and what does not count as a religion. Do the beliefs and practices that fall under the general rubric of Hinduism constitute a religion? To what extent do the principles and practices of Confucianism define it as a religion? How are the forms of Christian atheism and humanism um, positioned among the general questions of understanding religion? Some of these discussions might be interpreted as Truller's research knowledge rather than pedagogical knowledge. But these are academic questions which bear upon the ways in which religious ideas are presented pedagogically. Here we must admit that the, the distinction between academic and pedagogical knowledge is itself fluid. The desire to correct a simplistic view of Hinduism is both academic and pedagogical. That we might want to include Confucianism or forms of humanism in theories of religion reflect changing social and political priorities. Inevitably, the interpretations of Hinduism and Confucianism, for instance, are determined by political interests. It is hardly surprising that contemporary Neo-Confucianism is clearly not associated with conventional religion in in China's contemporary self-understanding. And that therefore Confucianism is interpreted aesthetically rather than uh, religiously. So if I'm to make a case for the pedagogical reduction of religion, I cannot imagine that conventional forms of RE and the reductions that they employ are without prejudice. On the other hand, it should be clear I'm not uh, making a case to leave those prejudices unexamined. Um, If a good deal of scholarship though is undertaken by European and American scholars, even more particularly white men within those contexts, then the pedagogical reductions are likely to reflect certain perceptions of and assumptions about the world. The ways in which Hindu religious traditions and practices or indigenous forms of religious life in First Nation uh, communities of North America are framed by religious categories imported from broadly Christian intellectual traditions and histories has been noted by scholars. Historical consciousness then, on the part of the interpreters, I think is vital if we are to do better. So I'm gonna move to uh, the final section of the talk uh, right now and pedagogical reduction in the representation of religion. So on the one hand, we can justifiably be be circumspect about generalising and presenting religious phenomena in in reductive ways, while on the other hand, uh, accepting that pedagogy is intrinsically interpretive and therefore reductive. Reduction uh, involves consideration of how to represent the world and what to select from the world. I believe we need to consider not only the extent to which the curriculum content fairly represents a given subject, but must also consider how that content is made present in the practices of education. How are we to make judgments about the, the appropriateness of the reduction of religion? And There are no simple answers, but let me now refer to um, uh, a last concept, uh, that of pedagogical tact. Um, a kind of uh, practical wisdom or phrenesis. Um, Pedagogical tact is a faculty that bears upon all aspects of education, including representation, and encourages practitioners to consider and reflect upon the relations between the theoretical understanding of pedagogy, the experience of educating, uh, and reflection on that experience. Pedagogical tact describes the practical insight concerning how to use, among other things, uh, pedagogical representations and and reductions, which involve give and take. Because of the ambivalent nature of pedagogical reduction that it both reveals and conceals, it is vital that educators pay attention to the student's relation to it in order to determine when to give and take any particular pedagogical representation and reduction. The practical emphasis of pedagogical tact means there can be no universal rule for its application and therefore no universal rule for how to reduce phenomena or how to employ any particular (coughs) reduction because educational representation involves the complex interaction between the conditions of learning set up by the teacher, which includes, of course, representing and the particular approach, experience, disposition of the student. So the question of the accuracy of representation is incomplete where it does not consider also the disposition, capacity, nature of the student. Something that educators do I think all the time, more or less reflectively in their planning and practice. As kinds of mediation representations can be understood as relational and are therefore always enacted within the complex practices of education. The idea of a complete representation is not only theoretically implausible, but fails to consider the practical relations of educator and student. The basic principle here is familiar, I think, to most teachers, that good teaching entails all sorts of spatial, temporal, and curricular conditions, which also means employing the appropriate reduction at the right moment, taking account of all sorts of contextual factors including dispositions of students. But I want to take these observations about the proper place of reduction in RE one step further, because although reduction is a general feature of education, it has particular implications uh, if we consider the referent of RE. In other words, what are the pedagogical reductions of RE drawing attention to? What is the curricular content of RE? How do we represent or mediate that subject matter? It is not at all obvious what we are drawing attention to uh, in RE, and any statement I make on this matter would elide the contested nature of, of any answer that I could give. In the context of the Catechism, attention is drawn to the Gospel, but even this statement is ambiguous for it is not clear whether the gospel here refers to the text or Christ as the Logos. In other words, does the pedagogical reduction draw the student's attention to another representation or to some other reference? Something that exceeds representation, whatever that might mean. On the other hand, this is an issue of what RE is for. We might interpret RE simply in terms of the knowledge about various religions. Um, where students are encouraged to understand the experiences, practices, cultures, beliefs of communities as social and cultural phenomena. In this respect, notwithstanding all the issues discussed so far, RE um, shares the general problem of reduction with our other areas of the curriculum. This might mean departing from or deconstructing the big five and looking towards the margins, um, for instance Wicca, Uh, Jediism and and so forth. But often RE is said to seek something more, something like an existential encounter with something. Or as RE in uh, practitioners in England and Wales are aware, the concept of not only learning about, but learning from religion. This seems to raise the intractable question of whether theological representation uh, and meet or mediation itself, the fulcrum on which the Reformation turned. So this is is the question raised here. So if we do wish to pursue this line in RE, I would argue that the theological reference point for academic knowledge and pedagogical knowledge can only be referred to in complex, ambivalent, and ultimately insufficient ways. And so these forms of knowledge share a fundamental condition of insufficiency and uncertainty. Reference to the sufficient nature of the catechism must be interpreted pedagogically rather than literally. It is for this reason that many religious traditions have attempted to subvert the terms which are used to mediate some theological reference point by suggesting that what is posited by theology as God taught must also be undone by way of the via negativa. In other words, this is not just a sort of spiritual, theological question. It must be a pedagogical process. So a very short conclusion. So I've attempted to apply a general theory of pedagogical reduction to the field of RE. A field which concerns uh, around explanatory reductionism lead to a general suspicion, I think, of pedagogical reduction more broadly. I've argued that pedagogical reduction can be distinguished from reductionism but only in practice. My goal has been to consider the process of understanding theories and practices as well as the scope and limits of pedagogical reduction, that is the arts of forming, giving and taking those reductions appropriately in part through the practices informed by pedagogical tact. The point of tact is not to offer a general criteria for knowing what a good application looks like, but to develop an awareness or sensitivity of when and how to apply the general principles of, in this case, pedagogical reduction. The art art of giving and taking representations is something that religions in general have contemplated for a very long time and they offer forms of discourse and practices of contemplation such as the via negativa or the aesthetics of religious life that allow for more flexible notions of representation. For this reason, I've argued that dialogue between religious and pedagogical histories would be fruitful in undertaking, reflecting upon and enacting pedagogical reductions. Which uh, brings me to the end of my words, at least um, formal words, and to questions.
0: Thanks very much indeed, David. Um, There is a question already in the chat from Richard. I'm gonna invite Richard in to ask that.
2: Okay, uh, thanks David, thanks very much for that. Um, I guess the Heart of the question is this notion of does simplification or simplifying require reduction and reductionism uh, in the pedagogically. I, I guess from a physics teacher's perspective uh, I might simplify an experiment for pupils to engage in it uh, but actually I'm expecting them to engage fully in the process of experimentation even if as um, Peripheral participants and in, 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 in sense of not having the expertise in, it, in being experimental scientists But nevertheless the experiment itself is intended to be a, uh, a, a Total experience even though it's a simple experiment. And I'm just wondering whether is there something different about RE here uh, in, in that sense so, but but surely that we can simplify uh, Without actually ending up in reduction or only through reduction
1: uh, thanks, Richard. I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm wanting to use the term reduction uh, to, to, to characterise a range of activities that are undertaken um, with educational intention in mind. Uh, one of them indeed is simplifying and simplifying can take many, many different forms. Uh, we can simplify by selecting one element from a complex, uh, complex object. And focus on that one element. We can simplify by, uh, you know, seeking um, uh, to turn fractions into decimals or something of that nature. Um, so the point is that that so simplifying um, takes many, many different forms. Uh, we simplify with the balance bike by simply reducing the many things that. Are, someone has to think about when they're riding a bike to just, let's say, balance and steering. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I have in mind that, that it's simply breaking, it, it is a, a term being applied to any process of, of breaking things down. Um, and when we break down some phenomena in a science experiment to uh, illustrate something, there is is a reduction going on in that sense. We're breaking, um, let's say a prism, let's use a classic example, a prism is is broken down into elements of light, Uh, or should I say, um, uh, light is broken down into its elements. Um, In doing that, we are uh, simplifying the world in certain ways so that different things can be seen. Uh, In that sense, I think it is a reduction. it may be arbitrary if one would prefer to use a different term for it. Have I missed something? Maybe you could say a bit more about the experimental context.
2: Okay, I, I, I guess I'd mark a distinction between teaching something through experiments and getting students to do experiments, so people to do experiments. So I, I was fortunate to be to be teaching in the, in the great investigative approach to, to teaching well before the present era, in which we, we would encourage students to, to plan uh, an investigation, an experiment, and learn through the process of experimenting on, whatever it was, you know, how, how to get the, the, the best color coffee out of a, a particular form of filter. Um, as opposed to teaching, doing experiments uh, like um, blue flame, orange flame, standard year seven, To be able to show which flame is hotter in which you're trying to you're trying to teach a scientific principle through experimentation and i guess what i i can see how in a sense i'm i'm focusing on a particular scientific principle in the latter case i want them to understand something about the way oxygen combines in a Bunsen burner in terms of the the, the heat uh, 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 generated but i in the first case as an investigation i'm simply trying to reduce the, the level of complexity about an experiment. I'm not trying to reduce or focus on a particular aspect of what it means to conduct a scientific experiment.
1: Okay, yes, yeah. so in the first case you are reducing the world, so to speak, into a particular element. You are, you are setting something up, you are inviting the, the, the student in to see a particular thing, to, you are drawing attention to a particular um, circumstance um, and it how how open an inquiry based that process may indeed be there is still a sense of fencing off or or creating conditions or some some action undertaken by someone with some kind of let's call it pedagogical authority or um who's making decisions on behalf of the student where to begin now where that goes and on what is seen is is open um, but the reduction involves the first step, the the, um, the drawing attention to a particular thing.
0: Thanks David. Can I come in there? I've got some comments from Ruth and Carlson I might bring in, in a moment. But it's if you like, I'm asking the question that I thought Richard was going to, to ask. It's a question I've asked you before, I think, David. I'm interested when I listen to this because I can hear re practitioners, theologians getting excited, because in your description of the pedagogical reduction, you invoke theological language. Of course, the via, via negativa is is there in pedagogical reduction. Ineffability is there in pedagogical reduction. That's all part of your more general educational point that it had, has these um, sort of theological components. You know what what the world is reduced what is the world well that's ineffable every every revealing is a concealing so all the, all the theology is kind of already there in the pedagogical reduction so so then what i want to ask is is i can hear the, the re teacher the re practitioner going oh this is great because of course my subject does have an, an ineffable subject matter it is really difficult the via negativa is an issue but but i hear all of that being part of your more general educational description. So my question is then, is there a particular problem with RE? Is there like a special uh, ineffability or an extra problem that comes in when you're applying the pedagogical reduction, which I think you already describe in theological terms to RE specifically?
1: I I think it's a case of, of, of the theological leaking out into all domains of life in my work rather than trying to say that there is something specific um, about RE. <clears throat> in other words, um, if we use the language of Heidegger for a moment, the, the thing, um, the, the, the thing which is not an object, but a thing, um, is characterized by withdrawal. And I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that I've just read uh, Piotr um, and Joris's book on thing-centered pedagogy, in which they describe the withdrawal of the thing um, here, in, which I think is relevant. Anyway, uh, so for me, it's, a, if you like, a characteristic feature of things that they always show and hide or they are present and absent at once. Um, and yes, I think theology and theological language has a particular set of, let's call them resources, uh, to address that uh, feature, so to speak, of, of the world. Um, not because uh, theology is special, but because I'm going to say theology has something universal about it, which is its, uh, its, its, its kind of dialectical language. Not that, not that one has to be, as it were, religious to, to appreciate that, but that I think that um theological traditions the world over struggle with the same question of what what's what is what is it to look at something um what is present um and so forth um yes so i think that answers the question is 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 it's about the let's say theological nature of 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 the curriculum as a whole um and, and, and 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 you know so it is difficult so so that should excite all teachers in the sense, that, you know, the maths teacher, there's something profoundly mysterious about, about numbers, about um, matter in, in physics, about life in biology. All of these things have the character of, of being things that are both present and withdrawing at the same time.
0: Thank you. Carsten's got his hand up. By the way, you can put your hand up if you go into the um, participants menu. There's, an, there's a, a capacity there for you to put your hand up. Thanks, Carsten
3: uh yeah thank you david uh as you know we are kind of in line here but i still wanted to uh to challenge that idea that this is basically the same um because also the way you talk about religion that most people talk about religion and the presentation of religion or of religious content is in itself perceived already a reduction because as you yourself say um it It hints on something that's ineffable, that cannot be seen in a way. So there's the presentation itself is a reduction. So then our E would be a reduction of a reduction. So that's like two steps, whereas the normal physics teacher probably would say, well, the world is there uh, and we have actually access to the world. So that's a reduction of that, which is not a reduction. That's a reduction of the world, basically. So in that sense, maybe there is a fundamental difference. Uh, between reduction in RE and reduction in, like let's say, physics. And, and maybe this is what's haunted
1: RE for some time is this kind of notion that, that we don't just learn about traditions, that, that we somehow have something encountered uh, in, in, or, or there is an op- opportunity for some kind of existential component to RE, which is called, in England and Wales, learning from. If I've, if, if, um, so 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 i think that's always been hovering in the background i think it's an interesting way of putting it that re when it becomes learning about is simply a reduction of a a reduction yes that might indeed be a question but but then i still want to hold out for the fact that most of us when we're teaching re um, um hoping to appeal to a sensitivity within the students to something else. an awareness that something is incomplete or insufficient about the representation which then itself uh overturns just the kind of well this is just a a reduction of a reduction because we're seeing the reduction is incomplete in itself.
0: Uh, I've got, um, yes, Imran.
4: Yeah. Um, hi, Thank David. Yeah, the messy hair day, but hey. Um, so it, it seems to me that in the, um, in the reduction as a pedagogical approach to teaching world religions, you're really pointing towards a process that the teacher very much needs to engage in which also requires an opening so for example if you want to teach about war and conflict and things like that you might center on the concept of peace and then sort of reduce the whole idea only just to open it all back up again and so really that points i think is really really interesting this uh, pedagogical tact that the teacher needs to keep in mind and but i think that that really points also to that conversation with the student and it welcomes more exploration in that philosophically you know Um, and i think that's where um re really does lend itself to philosophy of education because it allows for um an understanding of like epistemic frames and and just you know pre-existing knowledge and um how people engage with that thing you know um so that's more of a comment rather than a question but have you done some thinking in that direction?
1: Well, thanks, Imran. If, if, I, if I got your point, um, it's, it, it was where I particularly wanted to mention a historical consciousness, yeah. which I don't, of course, think belongs only to RE by any means, but, but indeed the reason we encounter other cultures, other traditions is, at least to a significant extent, about um, uh, a richer understanding of our own traditions and into the contingencies of our own traditions the uh, you know the um, idiosyncrasies of our own understandings um so learning about others through history um, and uh, through uh, through through religious studies or through geography and so on is a journey of self uh, discovery as much as it is a, a, a journey of understanding others. Um, only, th- only if, if uh, just developing that sense of historical consciousness.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you. I'm going to bring uh, Ruth in. Uh, hi, David. Thanks.
5: My question is, have you thought about metaphor in your account? Because metaphor is a reduction, or could be argued to be a reduction, could be reductive. Um, And metaphors, as we know, have a huge literature, very interesting. They can be very sophisticated and nuanced, as in poetic poetry, or they can be quite cliched. So,
1: I'd be interested to know if you've thought about that. Thanks, Ruth. Um, yeah, I, um, absolutely. I think there is a, a very interesting link here with metaphor, um, and I think it's it, it's 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 it speaks. Uh, about the uh, ambivalent nature of reduction in the sense that a reduction is, um, as I used the phrase from uh, from McFarlane, is an aperture. It's a way of seeing that opens up and you might say it expands, it expands our view. So um, paradoxically, what what, uh, narrows our perspective also expands it. Um, by way of a reduction, we can come to see more, see further. Um, so, and that's a metaphor. Um, but I, so I think a metaphor is, is a good reminder. Of, as you say, they can be better or worse. They can be, um, let's say, more opening and more narrowing. Um, and I think, therefore, a relate quite well to the question of tact, the sensitivity that we develop in their use. Um, But yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, another sort of strand of this paper would would consider the ways in which, um, uh, in trying to represent the world, we try to to kind of bring about an expansion of our minds, some kind of neoplatonic ascent of the mind from a particular principle or, sorry, a particular example or a particular scientific experiment or a particular piece of music and we ascend from those particular objects to some general idea or some principle that is disclosed in those particulars. And so if if um, if education is conceived somewhat neoplatonically as a kind of ascent of the mind through particulars to generals, then maybe metaphor would fit into that scheme in some way. I haven't really thought that through, but I sort of um, I sort of uh, avoid getting too much into that because it seems scary. So I hope that gives some some sort of response. Yeah,
5: it, you started me thinking about figurative language in general. Uh, so that's just me going off on Yeah, thanks. Yeah.
0: Thank you. There's a couple of interesting questions come up in the chat. There's a question from Morton about how much you want uh, reduction to go. How much of educational activity you want to subsume under. Reduction, and then there's a related question I think from Kevin saying, "Is reduction the best term? What about, for example, selection?" So, Morton, do you want to unpack your question at all?
6: Um, well, uh, first of all, hi David, nice hi. to see you even in these circumstances, and uh, thank you for your presentation. Um, but it seems to me you're sort of using reduction as a an umbrella term in a sense for a lot of what we do. Uh, as educators. So I was just wondering, I mean, how much can we, you know, subsume or contain under this umbrella term? Uh, Ruth mentioned metaphors uh, using poetry, um, exemplification, uh, and Richard was speaking about experiments. And for example, uh, Wagenschein uses the experiment, as a way of explaining how we open uh, spaces or we create platforms, as he calls it, but also condensations where it 's possible from there to study something or experiment with something um, and is that or would that also be a reduction yes,
1: yeah, so, so Wagenstein talks also about the entry point, and the entry point is is i think a reduction itself i mean uh I, i'm wanting to be descriptive and i'm wanting to uh help to pro- or i want to provide a i want to provide some kind of um account of the range of activities that we do when we uh when we when when we bear witness to certain things um and I have tended to talk about selection, simplification, and generalisation as the sort of key elements of reduction, um, but, uh, but and I used a range of different examples, and, and, and they, they they indeed are complex because a lot of them seem at the same time as drawing attention to a particular thing to then open up into something much bigger, um, and so reduction then seems to be um, uh, a restricting word for it. So I, I'm, not, I'm not married to the word reduction, but I, I think particularly in English, we have this ambivalence around re- being reductive in religion, being you know, re- scientific reductionism is one thing. Re- and so I think it's an interesting kind of a way of thinking educationally about religion to consider um, juxtaposing reductionism with, with this idea in German, we have didactic reduction as a as a concept which doesn't really translate to anything in english, so it seems seems like a, a a neat kind of relationship and that's that also goes to i suppose kevin's point of of why reduction um, and as I've just said, there is this this notion of of didactic reduction in general um, and indeed uh delimitation, selection, these are other words that one might use. But it's much more than just selection, of course. It's also um, creating boundaries. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah, so maybe it's a rhetorical interest today, um, opposing or relating reductionism to reduction. So I don't know if that answers, or people want to come back.
0: Yeah, thanks, David. Maybe Kevin first. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? Oh, you'll need to unmute yourself, Kevin. I can do
5: it, I've
7: done it for you. Yeah, do please. Uh, thanks, thanks, Dave. That was very interesting, David. But right from the time I read your abstract, I was a bit concerned about the term reduction Now, that really answered my question. I think that it would perhaps be less contentious and, uh, to use a term like selection or delimitation, with all their limitations also. And um, secondly, um, we have to remember as well, and I'm sure we all know, that... Um, where, where, where we reduce, or delimit, or select, our selections have a, a way of unravelling when we encounter young people in the classroom, because they can, qu- they can ask us questions that oblige us to go beyond what we have packaged for them. And one interesting area where I think that you might explore if you're t- when you're taking this further, maybe for publication, is what happens in France, where religion obviously is not taught, but um, it is mandatory to unpack religious, explain religious terms when they arise, for instance, in history or in in literature. And it's very hard to delimit the kind of unpacking. And this was going through my mind the whole time. I said, wow, once we start, for instance, take George Herbert's poem, The Collar, I struck the board and cried no more, I will abroad. That would take an awful lot of unpacking. And you've got me thinking anyway, David, thank you.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Um, I mean, I think certainly within this presentation, um, there is an emphasis on the role of the teacher, on the on the authority, so to speak, the responsibility of the one who who does those, who makes those selections, who represents the world uh, to uh, to a next generation. So there is definitely um, a sense that there is a step taken. First, now what takes place in response to that? Uh, how that is taken up by the uh, the next generation, so to speak, by natality, as as Arndt might put it. How how the response uh, that takes that up is 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 a, is a completely open question, and there's no hint that that, um, that that we can sort of manipulate how that's received or that we are. Um, the, the, the whole emphasis really is on the fact that we do do this and we ought to do this sensitively, we ought to do this with historical consciousness, that we, we ought to do this sensitive to the, the, the children, if it's children, um, that we are with, but that we have a responsibility to do this as well. Um, and of course, I'm wanting to be slightly provocative with the concept of reduction particularly in reference to reductionism. And I want, I want it to jar slightly that people think, oh, well, that's, that sounds bad. Um, and just to draw out the kind of constructive uh, foundation, I suppose, of showing um, in, in, in the sort of way that Arendt talks about in the crisis of education, that we have a responsibility to stand for the world as it is, even if we are um, ambivalent about that. And even if we get it wrong.
0: Thank you. Uh, Carsten, you had your hand up a, a little while ago. Uh, but,
3: well, I just wanted to basically say what, what David just said. So there's a, uh, there's a difference between uh, what the teacher is doing. That's the first step. That's the reduction. Then whatever happens on the other side of the student is a completely open matter. So all this, like, widening in out and... Um, making it bigger again or taking that and discovering the world from here. So that's, that is That is the second step. Whereas I think the term reduction, as David understands it is, that's actually the activity of the teacher or of the educator, which sometimes is a bit difficult in English because the, the English term education seems to embrace like all of that, like what happens on the teacher's side, but also what happens on the student side. So that makes it sometimes difficult to distinguish that the term like reduction is basically only referring to whatever the teacher or educator is doing. Uh, and then the student may take that, take, takes the example and then generalizes maybe from here, finds the general law or takes the metaphor and discovers the world from within this metaphor. Uh, but the activity of reduction that goes into creating the metaphor or choosing the metaphor to present it to the student that is the teacher's activity, and that's a reduction. That's basically what well, David already said that kind of yeah, I agree <laughs> good, good <laughs> I'm
0: going to bring Imran in
4: so uh Ruth will be happy to hear um as well that I've got a metaphor <laughs> um it's for your um, reductionism and opening back out and all of that um. In my head, I've got the picture of, uh, in India, it's the harmonium. But I think in the West, it's the accordion, which makes the sound as you reduce and also as you open back up. Um, And I think what you're also doing is really calling in the teacher as the player of that accordion or harmonium. Um, And of course, how the student receives that music is is part of the art of education. Um, Maybe that's one that you can work with.
1: Thanks, Imran. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the case that uh, if, 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 we, if we want to distinguish education from learning, one way in which we can do this, of course, is to talk about the activities of the teacher intending to educate as education. And then what happens, so to speak, within the student as, as um, the learning that may or may not happen and, and the relation between those two things. Um, is is a bit of a mystery. There. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um,
0: can I can I perhaps press press on Kevin's point a little bit back in in, in response to, to how I uh, to how Carson summarised you, David? Because I. I heard you, you didn't unpack it very much, but I heard you talking about pedagogical tact, you know, the, the movement towards and the movement away, you know, that, that to and fro engagement. And the way Carson summarized you just then, he, he, he seems to suggest to me that the reduction is a kind of once for all. You know, the teacher plans a reduction then delivers that reduction in the classroom and the, and the student takes it and runs with it. And of course the to and fro, the tact implies, uh, you know, a feedback and a constant transformation of that relation, it seems to me that part of the point Kevin was making is that the, you know, what, once this goes out there to the students, it, it sort of refuses to stay in any kind of frame that you might want to put it in. So if you choose something as an exemplar of some. Uh, general point you know part of what you do in the reduction is you you frame no exemplar stands on its own as an exemplar it stands within a particular frame which is part of the way that you present it that's part of the 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 process of reduction but it then just seems to me that as soon as the students begin to take that on resist it run with it push back against it much like we are doing in the in the in the Q&A now it it sort of it doesn't stand necessarily as the reduction it was in initially intended to stand for so so that they're in the to and fro there seems to me to be a transformation um, and the frame is transformed.
1: Yes but it, it is, it is um, the role I suppose of, of the teacher to be sensitive to how that re- reduction is taken up and therefore modify or introduce or subvert or take away um, so, I mean, I was I was thinking about the fact that I, I've been doing yoga these last few years. And when you first do yoga, you learn to to do certain things with your arms and your legs. And once you've learned to do certain things with your arms and your legs, that, that becomes really beside the point and your teacher will teach you something completely different. But it's it's a it's the same it's it's uh addressing um addressing the same journey, so to speak, but sensitive to and now a new level, so to speak, a new perception that you are able to um to, to see now that you have some basic understanding of the posture. So you develop a basic understanding of something and in order and, and at that point the teacher then knows that it's time to complicate, subvert. And you know, re, re-examine the representation. Now we all know that that students can get stuck on a, a particular view of things, a particular m- a metaphor, or model, or or perspective. Um, we, the best student that we teach is perhaps the one who knows when to read the textbook and when to, you know, put down the textbook and 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 go beyond the textbook, so to speak but we don't just go beyond the textbook just like that. Um, so, so the art of pedagogical tact, I think addresses the ways in which the teacher is active in reshaping the pedagogical reduction in response to the ways in which the student takes up uh, the particular understanding or develops the particular understanding.
0: Thank you. Uh, I'm gonna bring
5: Sean in.
8: Good afternoon, and uh, thanks, David, for a very interesting um, lecture. Uh, No, it just struck me that um, I think it was perhaps uh, Richard that provoked this train of thought when he was making an analogy there with the teaching of, let's say, physics. And uh, my own background would be in mathematics. Uh, You have these reductions or delimitations, as Kevin would like to call them, I think relating to all subjects. But it struck me that um, religion has a particular difficulty in that um, at the center of religion, uh, and I'm using it in the broader sense to include all the, what is commonly recognized as religions, there is mystery. So um, as opposed to taking... Uh, maybe an agreed body of knowledge um, relatively stable anyway like physics or mathematics you're dealing here with a much more slippery customer for one of a better term where you're at the core you're dealing with a mystery and you are trying to um, get that across to students who are not at the present moment are definitely in the last time I saw them, anyway, which was a few years ago, not inclined to mysteries. They grew up in a scientific technological culture where everything has a solution or an algorithm to, um, to resolve it. So uh, it seems that there may be an added difficulty here. while um, as I said, reduction applies to the teaching of any subject. Uh, it's a particularly it must create a particular difficulty in the teaching of religion.
1: Thanks, Sean. Um, yes. Um, well, as a as a as a one a brief student of computer science, um, I I remember one of my first textbooks on computer science was the Art and Craft of Computing, and the mystery of programming um, and the complexities therein. So I slightly wonder whether it's just poor pedagogy uh, that uh, allows um, physics to be without mystery or allows biology to be without mystery. I would imagine that wherever any kind of subject matter is carefully um, pondered, contemplated and, uh, 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 discussed that mystery wouldn 't be far away, so earlier I drew attention to heidegger 's concept of a thing and in in heidegger 's uh, story a uh, thing is is a general concept it, it doesn 't belong of course to any curricular domains it 's everything um, and and indeed it 's characterized by by a certain mystery, and in that sense then um the phenomenology is suffused by a kind of, I'm going to call it spirituality, I shouldn't, um, a kind of uh, religious sensibility. So there's no surprise to me that lots of Heideggerians are interested in a kind of uh, um, um, a phenomenology of of religious life and religious um, uh religious uh, um mystery let's say um in other words the the concept of mystery does not belong i don't think to religious studies it may it may be of course that re um is more self-conscious or more deliberate in its reflections upon mystery than physics or or other subject areas but I just hope that, that teachers in every subject are able to draw attention to mystery.
0: Thank you. I've got a little cue now but I'm going to bring in Morton first because I think this links to where I wanted to come back to you uh, earlier on. Morton. Oh,
6: just uh, the example you gave with uh, with yoga uh, where you know we you explained the teacher starting with simple movements of the body And then once you're initiated into simple things, you can move on to the more complex and gain more understanding. I think that would, um, uh, in a sense, betray what you want to do with with your ideas of pedagogical reduction. Because I don't think we should consider it in that sort of systematic and chronological way. Rather, pedagogical reductions or exemplifications function, as I see them at least, or should function as ways of opening a subject matter for the pupils so that they can become interested and not just fall off somewhere because like me they can't get their legs into the proper position in yoga to get started in the first place so so there should be some kind of as we mentioned before with Wagenstein, an an entry point and the pedagogical reduction functions as if they work entry points
1: yeah i'm i'm not sure i understand the 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 problem with the the yoga example it's the it's the activity of a teacher to show something and when there is um uh, an interest in 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 that demonstrated through posture that then then uh, new possibilities become available so i don't understand the problem with that example
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going to come in there because I I like it more when you put it that way. <laughs> in response to Morton, but but earlier on as well, you you did fall back into basic and complex. You know, we, we can't necessarily go there straight away. We have to go through other things first. Um, and I'm I'm not sure that I'm not sure that is always the case. I, I I wonder if actually that is you slipping sometimes into a more cognitive way of looking at things, um, and forgetting that kind of embodied you know, which is more about directedness and attention and enticement. Um, so I, I, I kind of think there still is a, a tension there that, that sometimes it does seem to move into, you know, cognitive complexity um, where it could be talking more about um, affect and opening and, and, and attentiveness.
1: I mean, one of the reasons why I, I keep uh, coming back to the example of the balance bike is, is indeed to try and sort of prevent myself from falling too much into a staged curricula, you know, um, 101, then 102, or whatever it is, I don't even know, um, structure um, and a tendency to think of this in a linear way. And, and indeed, Wagenschein talks about this entry point into a sort of holistic complexity which, um, which, which engages interest in a sort of uninterrupted way. And, and I and I and I think that's that's true. And I, I will pay attention to the tendency. I think that there may be to. Yeah, I'll have a think about that. Thanks.
0: Thank you. I had I had Ruth then Carsten. Do you want still want to come in, Ruth?
5: It was just no. It, 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 David answered my point about mystery, which was raised that uh, any any subject has that element to it and think of all the humanities think of literature you know there's an ambiguity there isn't a it, it, I think even I'm not math- mathematically literate really um, but I would suspect in any subject there's an opening to an ambiguity which we could define as a mystery and D- David answered that anyway.
3: Thank you, Carsten. I wanted to say the same. (laughs) Even though I I still think that, uh, as David already said, that um, in some subjects, people might be more uh, aware of that kind of mystery and some subjects or some disciplines might like to present themselves as being not mysterious at all. uh, As if world and nature would be just in front of them and we could do all empirical research and then we've got it. So there's no big mystery about it. Um, so, But that's probably just a question of awareness rather than of the actual content. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. David, did you want to say anything more about mystery at this point?
3: Well, I, only that
1: um, even Richard Dawkins um, celebrates the wonder of, <laughs> of science. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that that's right. Um, and uh, yeah, we probably all had moments where that mystery has been drained out in the in the classroom. But that's that's not the fault of uh, of pedagogy generally. Thank you. I'm
0: just going to do. We've got five minutes to do a quick scan. If anybody else has got a last question, Kevin's waving. I brought you in, Kevin.
7: Thank you very thank you very much, Dave. Um, There's one problem with religion, in the teaching of religion, is that the truth claims in religion are fundamentally contestable. And this means that it may not have any purchase in the life of the young people. I just want to tell a little story that um, I had a student teacher, an innocent boy from the country who was teaching a confirmation class about the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he asked one, there was a, a class of all girls, and he asked one of the girls who wasn't paying attention, if he had any, uh, the poor boy, if he had any sense, he would have left her alone. And he said, well, can you name the fourth spirit, a gift of the spirit? She said, no, I'm afraid I can't. And she said, can you, can you name any of them? No. She said, and the young one, she was 12, said, I think they're all nonsense. Next, the boy said, you're going to say God doesn't exist. And she put her head down I said, I'm afraid that's what I think. God doesn't exist. I think it's all nonsense. So, like that, doesn't apply in other subjects.
1: Um, well, it's interesting. The, uh, the the first statement that you made about truth claims being um, contestable, I, I'm I'm tempted to say that there isn't a curricular domain that doesn't have that uh, mm-hmm. character. Um, now that's not to say that there isn't something peculiarly problematic about the kind of re and the claims that are being made in the kind of re that you're describing. And of course, there are different kinds of re going on, um, and they're not all doing the sorts of things that, that your example um, suggested. Um, yeah. So, so again, I think I think it's a question of of to what extent, and this is another pedagogical question, to what extent we're encouraging students to learn a, a load of facts that may be true or, or for them to, you know, understand that there are different interpretations of, world, of the world, there are different ways of, of looking at things and there are different understandings of things, whether that be history, politics, well, obviously, um, but even physics, even, um, now there are, questions of where and when and how it's appropriate to draw attention to the sort of problems of I don't know the big bang theory or whatever whatever. when is it appropriate to to um to draw attention to that as just a model that's just a theory that's just another way of looking that is contestable Um, and that and then we have of course people like um what's his name Um, Michael Rice who 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 deal with the the tension between uh, you know, theory of evolution being discussed in a, in a biology class and how, how that, that is um, related to the theory of, of creation and so forth. So there are lots of, I think you're on to something that there is something about the truth claims in RE. I'm just not sure, at least at first glance, what those differences are. And it would be quite difficult to, to, to say that. And I, I'd be, my first response would be, well, everything is contestable.
0: thank you
8: Somebody else
0: in. thank you um, yeah sean did you want to i think we've got time if you wanted to finish with that
8: yeah just a little addendum to clarify um the sense in which i was using mystery earlier um in uh, religion specifically john wilson regarded uh mystery as um triggering uh, the emotion which he regarded as being very specific to the religious experience, which he called awe, A W E, which he usually wrote in capitals. Now, uh, I would say that in areas like uh, science in particular, uh, because science in, in recent uh, years has become so tightly linked with technology, that the uh, overriding um thinking in scientific thinking and technological thinking is control where you control uh, the natural environment as opposed to standing back and being in awe of it. So uh, that to me is kind of the, the delimitation to use Kevin's word between um, mystery as experienced in religion and mystery um, with a small m, as experienced perhaps in some of the other subjects as they're understood at the moment. You can find exceptions that I think you have uh, uh, I think a guy called Brian Swim who wrote this famous book about the universe as a green dragon where he's a cosmologist. Uh, he adopts a, a much more almost religious approach to science. But in general, I think that would not be typical of the scientific culture.
1: Aren't we in awe at our capacity to have a, a, a PSGB seminar through the technological means of Zoom? Does this not make us uh, reflect on the awesome power of, of modern age? I mean, in general, Sean, I think I, I, I'm sympathetic. I'm, again, not sure how I, I could uh, justify my sympathy for your view. But Thanks.
0: Thanks very much. I'm going to stop it there. So thank you. David, that was a, a nice way to wrap it up. Um, thanks for sharing with that with us, a really uh, wide ranging and challenging discussion. Thanks everyone for your contributions. There is uh, a PSDB virtual YouTube channel and a PSDB virtual podcast, uh, and this will be available uh, on those channels in a couple of days, but thanks again, David. And thanks everyone for coming. Thanks everyone.
5: Thank
6: you.